All right, good morning. All right, let's try that again. Good morning. Good morning. So good to be here with you this morning. Um, just a word. Um, I'm just grateful to be at a church where they care about the pastor's health, <laughs> the spiritual health, and they make it mandatory for us to make sure that we're doing well uh, because it, it doesn't honor God for us to walk not faithfully with him and yet put up a show up here. And so for the next eight weeks, I cover your prayers that you would pray, not just for me, but for my family. We're going to be spending a lot of time together trying to just grow and to love on each other and to really just seek out God. And so Pastor Sam's going to be here. So he's way better than me. I know he's underselling it, but he's way better than me. So if you need anything, don't call me, talk to him and uh, he will answer any questions and he'll be around. And so we're really looking forward to his uh, presence here, and I, I've, it's going to be like a revival. I'm going to leave, I'm going to come back, and this place is going to be like full, and so we're really looking forward to that. <clears throat> With that said, if you would do me a favor, as we begin the sermon, I'd like for you to turn to your neighbor. It was Thanksgiving week, so if you could just kind of mention one or two things that you are grateful or thankful for. Could you do that? If you haven't had a chance to do this, I know you're sitting next to your wife or husband, and I bet you you didn't even do this. If you get a chance, if you can, just with the person next to you, if you don't know them, introduce yourself and just kind of share what you are grateful or thankful for. Go ahead. Okay, sorry to cut you off, but <laughs> you know, life's not perfect. But I know for all of us, if you get a chance to do that, it's amazing how much we have to be thankful for. Isn't that true? I don't know about you, but uh, when I pause and just kind of consider, even though life's not perfect, all that God has given me, I mean, I can't help but to just say, you know what? Praise the Lord. And here at Tim Keller, I want to share a quote with you. This is what he says. He says, it's one thing to be grateful. It's another thing to give thanks. Gratitude is what you feel. Thanksgiving is what you do. And so out of our gratitude, my prayer for all of us is that, like verse 12 says, that we would all desire to do or to live a godly life for Christ Jesus because all that God has done for us. Amen? All right. Um, I don't know if you've never heard me preach, but I do enjoy a little interaction. And so I know, I know we're, you know, we're Asian, most of us, or whatever, but, you know, were you conservative? I felt it coming a little bit like an amen, right? <laughs> because of all that God has done, I don't know about you, but I desire to live my life to the best of my ability, though it won't be perfect, for Christ Jesus. Amen? You can't help but to just linger upon the grace of God and to his, his son and his sacrifice for us and the eternal life that we are granted when we don't deserve it. And we walk away and say, look, we got to do something. We can't just feel warm in our hearts, but it moves us. And so here we find Paul giving Timothy a sobering reminder that if that's you, if you desire to live this life for God, that there are two challenges. And it's a sobering reminder. He says here that there is a cost to follow God. Secondly, that the world we live in is turning from bad to worse, falling into deception. And so it makes it challenging for any of you that desires to walk in a way that honors God and is about him. Read with me. Verse 12, 
He says, indeed. That's literally like saying truly, truly, right? You remember Jesus saying that? Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be what? Persecuted. But there is a cost. During that time, the early church, man, there were all sorts of unfathomable stories of how much persecution was going on. From simple things like just being denied just human rights. And there are even crazier stories of Christians being burned at the stake to just bring light when darkness would come. This is why uh, many commentators believe that when 1 Peter 4, verse 12, when Peter is speaking, he's kind of alluding to this by saying, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. So depending upon where you were, persecution was light, heavy, but it was present. And in our day and age, depending upon where you live, right, persecution is either heavy or light. Now, we live in Orange County, so when we say persecution, you were like, it's hard to kind of understand that in our context. Isn't that true? But there is a cost. There is a cost to following and living our lives for God. Number two, he also mentions here that the world we live in is turning from bad to worse, falling deep into deception because he goes on in verse 13. He says, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So we are surrounded by a world filled with a culture that is going and turning more and more against what God desires. I don't even need to give you examples because you can sense and feel this if you ever follow the news or media or even the political culture around us. You can't help but to understand that this is actually happening. Isn't that true? If you agree, can you just kind of, yes. Thank you, Yvette. Billy Graham, looking at this passage, he summarizes it by saying, you need to know this, Christian, that if you follow and you desire to walk in a way that honors God, it is unnatural for Christianity to be popular. And you need to embrace that. But there is a cost and there is a world that does not like what God wants. And the scary thing is that the deception part is the scariest part, isn't it? Because it's one thing to not do what God wants, but to believe that that's right and God is wrong. Isn't that scary? I know better than God, and that's kind of what our culture is turning to. Um, it's challenging, isn't it? Because our natural lean is to lean towards the popular. Uh, this has been the struggle of most people since junior high. Isn't that true? You know, when I was in junior high, one of the most popular things was hypercolor t-shirts. Do you remember that? It was the weirdest, weirdest thing because when your body temperature would change, um, your shirt color would change. But everyone in junior high had it, so I had to have it. But you know what's weird about that is that it would always change colors where? Right here. <laughs> so that's no good. But as foolish as that is, because it was popular, the natural lean is what? Got to have it. When I was in high school, the popular thing was, and I have pictures, so I can prove this to you, but the haircut back in those days was what? They would shave everything, but they would leave their bangs really long. So I had that. If you want to see a picture, I'll show you later. But not only was it that kind of the popular thing, but you would dye it. So my friend would bring sun in. Do you guys know what sun in is, anyone? Yes. 
So they would bring sun in, and during like a recess, we would like dip our, our bangs, and then by like four hours later, it's like bright blonde. And not only that, we would have size 40, 42 size pants. You guys remember that? And if that wasn't foolish enough, we would have a belt that was, it was really way too long. And then it would just hang, and it would be like a tail, and it would drag on the floor. That's really, I mean, I kid you not, I would look at those pictures and it's just, it's nonsense. Yeah, you're like, man, I can't believe I thought that was cool. This is the most silly one, and I'm a little ashamed to share this, but when I was in college, uh, we took a trip to Korea. And at that time, one of the things that was popular in Korea was this, every man or boy had a side bag. And so when I got to Korea, the first thing I thought was like, that is so weird. Why do all these boys have these man bags? But you know, the craziest thing was, I stayed there four weeks. By three weeks in, I started to think it was cool. Now, I kid you not, so I went to the mall and I actually bought it. So then I bought one the third week and I was wearing it. And, um, and I started to realize, man, that's pretty functional. Right? I get to put my wallet in and, you know. And so... I, you know, it was, it was a thing in Korea, so it was not a big deal. So I would wear it everywhere, and then I came back home, and I brought it to church, and I wore it. Put my Bible in, and I was like, man, this is functional, man. This is amazing. So I started to wear it, and I came to church, and my, my friends, they destroyed me that Sunday. <laughs> like, hey, man, what you wearing there? Looks nice. And then, you know, you got to be like, no, it's functional. Like, you could put your Bible. There's another pocket for your cell phone. Like, oh, yeah, that's a good one. Hey, June. Like, that's what they were trying to make fun of me, calling me a girl, you know, whatever. See, the struggle sometimes, if you want to desire to live this life for God, you need to understand that Christianity is not going to be the popular view not going to be naturally accepted by the culture around us. So here, Paul is giving Timothy this sobering reminder that if you desire to live this life for God, you need to know that there is a cost, that maybe even your life could be at stake, and then secondly, that the world around you might hate you, because that's what Jesus warned us, right? The world hated me, so it might hate you. So just kind of know that. So, how do you survive and thrive in that sort of scenario so that you could live this life fully for God? And out of all the things that Paul could have mentioned to Timothy, do you know what he mentions? He says, you need to what? Lean on the word of God. He could have mentioned accountability. He could have mentioned all sorts of things. He says, you want to survive and thrive. In this sort of situation, you need to lean on the word of God. Let's turn to verse 14. He says, but as for you, there is an emphatic contrast. Meaning the world is going this way, but if you desire, you are to continue in what you have learned, the word of God, and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And the verse 16 and 17 might be a verse that you are very aware. It says this, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, 
for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So he says, in this sort of situation, when there is a cost, and when the world is turning against God, for you to really just rise above the negativity, you need the word of God. And he's going to tell you why. Because there's two reasons. One, because the word of God is reliable. And secondly, it's useful for us. Okay? So we're going to get into that. He says first, it's reliable. He says that all scripture is God-breathed. Meaning that it is inspired by God, that the origin is God. That the source is God. Even though men penned it, that God is the true author. I love what Carl Henry says in his commentary. He says this, All scriptures God breathed means that supernatural influence of the Holy Spirit whereby the sacred writers were divinely supervised in their production of scripture, being restrained from error and guided in the choice of words they used, consistently with their disparate personalities and stylistic peculiarities. This is to say that scripture finds their origin in God. It is not the result of human religious genius, but all of the word of God is from, sourced by God himself. And the source is very important, isn't it? Uh, any of you guys foodies in here? You love food? I, I don't know about you, but now food has become kind of a big thing for us, right? Like 75% of our vacation is planned around food, isn't that right? where we're going to go eat, I'm going to eat this, I'm yelping this, and this and that. And uh, you might get a food recommendation from someone. Like, we're going to go to Chicago, me and my wife, the first thing we're going to do, kind of the one trip we're taking during my sabbatical is we're going to Chicago. And so we'll be getting food recommendations. And, you know, when you get a food recommendation, the source is important, isn't it? Because they'll be like, oh, there's this great sushi restaurant. You're like, oh, really? Who told you that? It'll be like, oh, so such and such in person told me that this place is good. And based on your trust of that source, you would go, yeah, I don't trust that. They told me to go eat this shabu shabu. It was horrible. I'm not going to go to this, right? Doesn't that, that's what happens. Um, Chris and Mina, I, I, they gave me a recommendation for Chicago. I don't want to point them out, but there's Chris and Mina. <laughs> and I have never actually gone to one of the places that they recommended. I haven't. Not because I didn't want to, but we've had kids, and it's hard to go on dates with my wife, you know, consistently to really nice places. Uh, but they made a recommendation to a place called The Girl and the Goat in Chicago. You've been there? Anyone? You have? It's good? Okay. That's what I was told. So I started to do some research. Not because I don't trust Chris and Mina, but they just haven't proven themselves worthy yet. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to show you three pictures of what I found. This is the crispy braised pork shank. You know, when a meat has bone sticking out of it, for some reason, it just, like, it just gets you. The second thing, it's a wood-fired blue point oysters. The third thing, this is a six-pound lamb meant to be shared with six different people. The picture doesn't do it justice. I wish I could have put a person next to it because literally, I mean, this thing is massive. Uh, I guess the, the chef was holding it and it was like this before they cook it. So I think Chris and Mina have proven themselves worthy <laughs> because I was like, I'm sold. So I called 
and you can't get a reservation for three months. So we will not be going to this place. <laughs> but I will look at these pictures and I'll be like, wow, it must be so delicious. But the source is very important. And here, one of the dogmatic truths of theology for Christians is the inerrancy of Scripture, meaning that the authority and the reliability of Scripture is without error. And if you do not believe that, you are not a Christian. See, we are able to turn to the Word of God because it is free of error and it speaks to us as if God is speaking directly to us. You know, when I was younger, I used to have this daydream where I wished I could just be with God and just kind of ask him questions and have him speak into my life. And what this passage is reminding us is that we have that access, that each and every day we can go to him, and it's a reliable source for us to lean on, regardless of the struggles that we're facing. Amen? The second thing that he tells us, that it's not just reliable, but it's useful, Right? Like, it's one thing to be reliable, but it has to be helpful. It has to be useful. It's like if you have a flat tire and you call your friend and they come. But they don't want to change the flat tire. So they'll stand next to you. Thanks for being here, man. It's great. But we're going to have to wait for a trip away because you're not helpful. It's reliable and the word of God is also profitable. It's useful for us. And here, Paul mentions two things. He says, first, that it makes us wise for salvation. And secondly, it says that it is for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. If you ever get a chance to read 1 Timothy 4.8, it says that bodily training is of some value, but godliness has value in every way. Has promise for the present life and for the life to come. And it's kind of alluding to this. That when we get into the word of God and we engage with it, it's useful for us because first, it provides salvation, which is useful for the life to come. But also it holds value because it builds godliness in us to train us, to make us useful, right? Um, I'm gonna quickly go through these four things because I think it's important. It says that it, it teaches us. The word of God is useful to teach us. It teaches us about God and what he wants. And then it gives us clear lens to teach us who we really are and how we can get to where God wants us. And then the second part, it's useful for reproof. Reproof actually means to convince or to expose. So the word of God has power to expose sin in our lives. Now you're like, who wants that? Well, yeah, you need it. We all need it. Because when we expose the sin in our lives, we can confess it, put it aside, and to try to walk away from it. The third thing is useful for correction because the word doesn't just point out where we're wrong and just leave us there, but it tells us how to get right with God. So it corrects those wrongs. And then the fourth, almost kind of a summary statement, it says it trains us. It's kind of a child training, maturing, and growing in our faith as we learn, as we expose the sin, and as we correct it in our lives. It's useful for us in that way. So we need to engage with the Word of God. I find it a little bit frustrating sometimes when I talk to adult congregations about the Word of God. You know why? Because we've somehow been 
told that this is like a youth group application. Like, you, you know what I'm talking about? Like in the youth group, like you should read the word of God and have your daily life be filled with quiet time. But I guess as we mature in our faith and our age, it's like, well, when we have time, we'll engage with the word of God. No. This is a reminder that the word of God is not optional. That as we live in a world and a culture that is going against God, we need to rise above the negativity by what? Leaning on the word of God. We need it in our lives. Uh, just to let you know, um, you know, during this sabbatical, one of the big things that I'm going to be focusing on, it's not anything crazy. I'm going to be just studying God's word. I'm going to be taking a class at Biola so I could be in God's word. Not just talk about it, but to be in it each and every day. Hopefully be able to be in it myself and to have family time where we cannot be just hustle and bustle about every little thing, but to spend time in God's word together. 2016 is coming up. And I hope that your application, I don't know what 2015 has been like with the word of God. But don't just think, oh, I read the Bible a long time ago. No, may next year be a year where you commit to the word of God because it is reliable. It is the very words of God spoken to us and it's useful. We need it to thrive and to live our lives in a godly way. There was a, a magazine and a critic um, kind of wrote a letter, kind of the Q&A column, I guess. And uh, to this Christian magazine, he wrote saying that over the years, I suppose I've gone to church more than a thousand times. And I can't remember the specific content of even one sermon over those many years. What good was it to go to church a thousand times? I hope none of you feel that way here at Crossway. <laughs> And another writer, I guess, kind of wrote in next week, and they responded to this question. And the response was this. Over the past many years, I have eaten more than a thousand meals prepared by my wife. I cannot remember the specific menu of any or many of those meals, but they nourished me along the way. And without them, I would be a much different man. The Bible will do its spiritual work in us if we will let it. And sometimes maybe you've gone there where you're doing quiet time and you're like, this is making no impact in my life. Maybe it's been a struggle. I want to let you know that we need to constantly engage with the very breath of God. Because if we don't, the warning is clear. We will struggle with the cost and more of the world and its values will start to seep into our hearts. Do you love the word of God and are you engaged in it? My prayer and hope for all of us is that we would be people that are not just good at coming to church. Of course, I want you to sign up for Be Generous, but not to just go to events here and there, but each and every day, the desire to live a godly life by what? Engaging and leaning on the word of God. Because when you lean on the word of God, you lean on God. That's my prayer for all of us. I hope that you would take that to heart. I want to speak to some of you who maybe you have just grown, grown kind of cold to the word of God. I pray for you today. 
that it will spark something in you to say, look, I, I, I need to start. I need to get back into it. Let's pray together. Father God, I just want to thank you for your very words to us. And I, and I pray that none of us would grow accustomed to just living this life apart from your very words to us. God, you tell us clearly that we don't live on bread alone, but from every word that proceeds from your mouth. And so for all of us, regardless of how old or how many times we've been in the Bible or how many times we've read it, that we would engage with all of Scripture and let us shape and mold our hearts. We thank you that you are so good to us that you would provide this. Be blessed. Be honored in this place. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.